Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The world of work has changed dramatically, and organizations are evolving. A full or part-time MBA from UCD Smurfett School equips managers to react at pace and deliver change. Now is the time to transform your career and gain a new business network. Join our virtual MBA Experience Day on Saturday, November 20th. Register at smurfettschoolie forward slash events. UCD Michael Smurfett Graduate Business School. Developing impactful business leaders. Welcome everybody to the Blood and Mud podcast. We're here, we're still going. We are the podcast that makes remote working an art form, let me tell you. Oh, well, I mean, we're, we're some podcasts right now are struggling because they can't be in the same room as each other. Me and thee, fucking easy street. I had to go on a work call thing and we're, we're using Microsoft Teams. And of course, me not really thinking, I put my podcast headphones on and me pod mic. Yeah. Because why wouldn't you? Of course, it goes on Microsoft Teams, and somebody goes, "Whoa, you've got some uh, top gear there." So I don't mess around me. I don't mess around me. And somebody says, "You look like DLT." I said, "I fucking hope not." I don't behave like him. All the people you can get. I mean, to be fair, comparing you to any DJ from the you know the golden era of Radio One and Two is is fucking. Let's be honest. It's a it's an absolute minefield at the moment. Blackburn, Blackburn, all right. The what, sorry? It's Tony Blackburn. Yeah, but he ain't got a beard, has he? My mum's uh, really yeah, funny. My mum was, you know the whole, that horrendous, you know, yew tree stuff? Yeah. And my mum lived through the 70s and 80s, obviously, as a kind of teenager and woman working. And she uh, she says, oh, she, the way she kind of qualified the different levels of it, she went, see, the thing is, she said, DLT, right? He was just, they were everywhere. He was just a 70s groper. And you had to put up with him every bloody workplace you worked in. I was like, all right. <laughs> She was like equating that obviously he wasn't as bad as all the others. I mean, the fact I said, Mum, come on now. Surely he's the other side of the line, isn't he? Or I suppose she's lived through it, so she gets to make these decisions. Yeah. Still, I'd rather not, I'd rather just have no groupers. Well, not quite. Yeah. It was yeah. wrong then. It's wrong now, Mum. Come on. <laughs> um, right then, I am Lee. 
And over yes. there is Josh. Uh, Josh, yes, I am. A bearded Josh. He's gone. Yeah, he's gone full. Yeah, I, I, man. I'm, I'm gonna go full Dave Lee Travis for this. I'm gonna see if I can have a beard that just goes all the way around my head like he did. Yeah. Was it they call him on the chart music podcast like a living Nasher badge? <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> um, so in between trying to plan the continuation of the, de- of the delivery of my part of the health and social care system, Josh, I'm doing DIY. That's quite yeah. a lockdown, isn't it? What it have you been up to? At least you've got... I mean, I'd be, I kind of wish I had fucking DIY to do, to be honest with you, mate. I, I'm just a bit bored now. Is your marriage yeah. on the rocks yet? No, it's all right. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, give it a couple of weeks. Mine's all right. We're both consumed with work. A DIY, exactly. so we're all right. Exactly. It's good to have something, you know. I've I've power washed the uh, back patio twice now, consecutive weeks. First time it needed it. Second time <laughs> I have something to do, and it's it's fun. To... Well, you are working, though, aren't you? You are working all. Day. Yeah, yeah, I'm working in the week, but you know, it's. it's then weekends like, is long, aren't they? Then weekends is long, and also it's it's sort of like well, I've done everything. You know, what can I... I've I've completed the house, if I'm honest, from a sort of you know. I've got a few doors left to do. I kind of wish if this had happened last summer, I tell thee, this house would be absolutely pristine. By <laughs> well, you'd run out of energy. I like it. Yeah, yeah, nah. Sitting, that's what I'm into. So we're doing like loads of work, then DIY, then we're like putting about ten minutes of MasterChef on and falling asleep on the sofa. It's a recipe for a successful <laughs> lockdown <laughs> marriage. Is. Let me tell you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, don't have well, enough energy to fall out with each other. That's the way forward. That's absolutely the way to go. Yeah. So, if you want to get in touch with us and tell us how your lockdown's going, I'm Lee yeah. at bloodandmud.com or at bloodandmud on Twitter. And what about you, Josh? Uh, at Josh Gardner on the, on the twits. Are you not writing on, on Rugby Shirtwatch? I can't be fucking bothered with that right tell, now. The less you do, the less you want to do. It's, it really is, actually. I've, I've totally gone off a cliff with it this year, having quite gone off a cliff with it last year. And... Now nobody's doing anything anyway because it's fucking the world is in lockdown and no sport will be played until fucking God knows when. So why would anybody release anything new? Indeed. So we're on Acast, on iTunes, we're on on your whatever device you've got right now. Yeah, quite literally, whatever you're listening to right now, we're yeah. probably on it. We're also on Patreon.com. Thank you for everybody who gives us their support. The VIP lounge is open, not like the other pubs. Ooh. The virtual yeah. pub, the virtual lounge, is open. Come on in. I'd like to welcome in this week Camilo Lemos. Ooh. Yeah, who's who's actually given I... more than the minimum door cover charge required. Good Lord. Because he's he's such a good man. Well done to you. Uh, we got, we've got new stats on ACAST telling us the gender split of who listens to us. Uh-huh. And I'd like to say a big hello to the 8% of our listeners who are women. Hey, guys. Which I don't think is doing too bad. I think that's actually pretty good female <laughs> listenership compared to some others. Um, I'm kind of... Like, compared to some of the specialist interest uh, titles that I've worked on in my life, that's actually a pretty good split. Mm. Like, Yeah, I don't think I've worked on things that have, like, 1% women, <laughs> which... I mean, it's not. It's just. It's fucking horrible, isn't it? Boy but yeah, stuff, I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll take. I'll take that. I will I'm telling you. Yeah. yeah, We welcome you. We welcome everybody, of course. But it was. Indeed. Was, it was. This is a new start this week. So I was quite. I was quite. Oh, quite interested when yeah. I saw it. Um, now then, we start as we always start with the player spotted. Yes. Um, Sam Marsh DMs. 
He says, I've got a couple of players spotted for you. A couple. Two in one email. That's some high mm. efficiency. He says, 2018, England versus Pakistan test match at Headingley. Stuart Lancaster was sitting three rows behind me in the Western Terrace. He seemed like a decent guy, says yeah. Sam. Well, I think everyone knows Fair that. Play. I'm interested to know what about him from three rows away gave him away as, as a nice guy. Was he, yeah. was, he, was he pleasant with people? Was he buying a round of drinks? Was he just generally looking at ease with himself and life? I think all I mean, of those things nice. when it comes to Stuart yeah, Lancaster, all of those yeah, things. Yeah. I think he always seems like a really nice bloke. Even, you know, in the it's his worst moments, he always carried himself with dignity, which is more than you can say for a lot of those guys. Imagine what it would be like being, if you're at home with Stu and you're being homeschooled. And I bet he's got endlessly practical things to do in this lockdown, Stu Lancaster. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, he's watching a lot of film, watching, I would imagine. A lot, a lot of... A lot of um, Game film. Yeah. He'll have lots and lots of activities set out for his kids to do. I mean, he was in, he's in real, he was always going to be in real trouble with this because he still lives in Leeds, doesn't he? Yeah. And he gets a plane to Le- to Dublin every day to go and work with Leinster, which is. Every day? He must have a crash yeah. pad in Dublin. Well, apparently, I, 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 all I know is that the reason that he didn't take the Ospreys head coach job a couple of years ago when it was offered to him was that there were no daily flights between Leeds and Swansea Airport. I mean, it's a trunk route. Enough. You'd be it's surprising there isn't. I mean, Swansea <laughs> Leeds say, is a trunk there, route. Isn't there, it? Are no, there are no there are no flights to Swansea from anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> My son went to the uh, Leeds Festival last year, and it was a direct train on the Sunday between Leeds and Ellesmere Port in which is a, a little town on the Wirral. It was very bizarre. Yeah. I thought, this must be a festival it's special. Like, there cannot be like a direct train yeah. between Leeds and Ellesmere Port ordinarily. <laughs> that cannot be a thing. Oh, well, I stayed in a hotel in Ellesmere Port once. Oh, which one? Was it Holiday Inn down by the it Boat Museum? Yes, down by the Boat Museum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And then I went to a wedding the next day and uh, they didn't have a... Um, like a headphone to red and white phono connector for the iPod to the sound oh, system so that they yeah. could play their playlist. And because I was an usher, I had to go to Argos in Elms in the middle of Elmsmere Port on a Saturday morning to try and get this. Uh, now, and I'll tell you what, it's a, it was an experience. We've got, yeah, it, that's, in, that's in the Port Arcades, Argos and Elmsmere Port. You're correct. I yeah. genuinely love... I work in Ellesmere Port. Well, when I'm in work, I'm in Ellesmere Port. I genuinely love Ellesmere Port. It reminds yeah. me of my childhood. Being really? In, well, it just like... being surrounded by those people, and it make, it, it gives me comfort. It gives me great comfort. However, it... it has got a big, massive sign in lights that tells you how good the air quality is <laughs> on a day-to-day basis because it's got Stanlow Oil Refinery and loads of other stuff around it. It's quite industrial. But without these yeah. places, all these tossers who live in leafy places wouldn't be able to live the life you leave, would we? And drive the fucking Range Rovers round. So, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So shut no, it and give fucking Ellesmere Port some ex- respect. I mean, I'll give, it, I'll give it the respect that I agree with you. It made me... Not you, Josh. I'm talking to people out there. I know you'll give respect to Ellesmere Port. Don't yeah. you worry. It, it also reminded me of my childhood in the sense that it reminded me of the past. In the, it reminded me of a place you wanted to escape. <laughs> <laughs> it reminded me of Aberdeer in the late 90s, early 2000s. And, there was, there was, and to be honest with you, Aberdeer today. Yes. 
But Much to recommend it, but we're not yeah. quite sure what it is just yet. Yes. But Ellesmere Porter, to its credit, had many more open shops than Aberdeer did. So, you know. So there's Stuart Lancaster at the cricket. And then also 2016, Sam says, I saw Ross Ford on a flight from Bristol to Edinburgh. I thought I had some big signing scoop, but alas, no. He disappeared yeah. off the plane before I could say hi to him, says Sam. And there we are. And there we go, the two player spotters. Send your player spotters in to Lee at <laughs> bloodandmud.com or you can do it on the DMs or, you know, whichever way you want. We all the Patreon message in if, you, if you're that way inclined, if you're one of those lovely supporters of ours. Now then. Um, some news. Some news, some news, some news. Um, I've actually got some breaking news oh, that's hello. literally you happened go with that, as, Top as we've shop. been on air and it's quite serious. Um, USA Rugby has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy as a result of coronavirus does that include mlr as well i would imagine so it's everything oh shit everything everything yeah basically rugby in america is gonna go bank well chapter 11 is and i know about this from my other job um chapter 11 is basically bankruptcy protection so you basically get the you file for bankruptcy you file for chapter 11 it stops your creditors from having from basically calling in all your debts and putting you out of business, but within 30 days, you have to basically have a plan to cut costs and get yourself out of it. Um, and this says in this, the Rugby Board and Congress agree that filing Chapter 11 is supported by a robust action plan is the optimal strategy in these exceptional circumstances. Um, the current suspension of sanctioned rugby activities caused by the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic has accelerated the existing financial challenges facing the union and a reorganisation process will now be progressed with input from World Rugby. Um, it says significant cost reductions in the financial support package from World Rugby will allow the board, Congress and governance restructuring to continue under union operation and control. So, Well, that's immediate cessation of Matthew Bastow's chocolate rations, I imagine. Well, big first, style, like straight, yeah, straight up. That's going to be fucking huge for MLR and all of those players that it's currently playing. I mean, obviously, um, there are bigger, more tragic things going on in the midst of all this, but it, that is a shame. It did feel like it was just getting a toehold, but also it does demonstrate to you that they are—they were properly, literally, two and a half weeks away from bankruptcy at all times. Yeah, yeah, and it, it comes back to the sort of rugby cannot afford itself situation particularly in you know basically they're saying suspension of the major league rugby competition combined with um loss of revenue from spring and summer membership dues sponsorship drawbacks and additional revenue sources basically it's every as is any you know if you're trying to sell any kind of advertising at the moment which you know again my other job nobody's buying nobody's selling people are just trying to fucking stay in business and yeah it's shit that's i mean particularly given how much effort and time and like hope has been placed in America. Oh, like America always lets you down eventually. Yeah. You play <laughs> from a rug, from a rugby point of view, like betting on America is always the, the fucking golden goose, but yeah, this is bad and big if this happens, but Chapter 11 is not full bankruptcy, so... So maybe yeah. maybe they'll have a plan just to tick over until this all comes back. We'll see. Basically, yeah. Uh, right, the other news, Ireland's tour of Australia is doubtful. They're not confirming it off yet, but it's doubtful. <sighs> Everything is doubtful, so it will be off. So does that accept that? 
In other news, Jackson Ray has announced he's to stay at Saracens after their relegation, which we assume I is mean, going to happen still, even though the, the, the season won't complete. <laughs> well, this is the thing, isn't it? It's all talking about anything in the future. It's just like, all right, yeah, well, I'm sure Jackson Ray is prepared to commit himself to having a paycheck after this season. I'm not sure it's even that. I think he's just too yeah. much of a shit house, like even for like Steve Diamond to sign Jackson. Yeah. Everybody yeah. looks at him and went, no, you know what? No, don't fancy it. <laughs> the same reason that England has never really gone this. No. Like, fuck it out. I don't no, even just know if he's a really just... good player, but fuck yeah, it out. Don't like his face. <laughs> don't like this. It's not good. Um. So there you go. So that was the news. Any more news? Anything else going on? Uh, oh, uh, only thing uh, I was I would like to sort of say is uh, get well soon to a uh, friend of the pod, our first ever guest, Lenny Woodard, who's uh, oh who's yes, got the, who's got the corona but is on the mend by all accounts. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, he won't listen. Lenny's Lenny's far too urbane <laughs> and cool. Exactly. I, I followed him on Instagram and he followed me after that interview, and his his entire life just seems to be going away for the weekend. It's great, isn't it? He just seems to be constantly on old boys tours. Yeah, or he's away with his family for the weekend in different yeah. hotels. He's just that. Yeah. Just, I mean, he's got some life as Lenny. Good for him. Yeah, and over you, full recovery, Len. Indeed. Um, yeah. So there you go. So we said <laughs> we didn't want to watch the classic game this week. I don't know why. Just because I don't know. Mix it up. We've got plenty of time to watch yeah. them still. Exactly. Everyone's doing it as well. So I thought I'd just take a great bit of joy by making Josh watch Building Jerusalem, to be honest, and I've had to rope you all in just to watch Josh's pain. Mm. Now, obviously, you've avoided it for a long time, but you couldn't avoid it any longer. Um, how yeah. was it? How much How much actual physical... Did you feel actual physical pain let it, watching it? Firstly, let it be said, I'm absolutely not the target audience for this film <laughs> uh, by some distance. Uh, I think I'd honest, genuinely think I'd have more fun going back and sort of critically analysing the first gig that I ever played as a 15-year-old in the Mount Pleasant in Chacunnan or <laughs> yeah. having my undercarriage waxed. Um, <laughs> either, of those, either of those things, probably more fun than, than watching this. It's I funny, mean, you know, it is interesting, right? Because obviously this is a sports documentary. And yes. we've all watched sports documentaries about teams, well, I have, about teams we don't like. And I uh, thought absolutely. that was interesting. Sports documentary. It is funny how most a lot of Welsh people come back to you and just can't even bring themselves to watch it. Scottish all, as well. Like even the name of the film makes me want to smash myself in the face <laughs> over and over again. What building Jerusalem? Ugh, God. <laughs> also, it's so English rugby, and I may be leaping ahead a little bit here. Yeah. That we cannot get a minute into this fucking film without Thatcher turning up. Oh, yeah, that is true. She does turn up in it, doesn't she? Literally, the first thing in the credit montage is fucking Thatcher. <laughs> and they're talking about the 87 World Cup. And what's Thatcher got to do with that? <laughs> Who's a fucking New Zealand? Ugh. First thing. Anyway. So, we'll do this now before rather than at the end. How do you think it does stand up as a sports documentary generally? Leaving aside the kind of the fact that you wanted to smash your face most of the time. Ironically, I I think it's quite interesting until the World Cup starts. You know what? I've written down here the first 20 to 25 minutes are the best best bit of it. Comfortably. Like, until the World Cup starts, it's genuinely interesting because it gives a, a semblance of insight into a team that won the World Cup. Once the World Cup starts, it just turns into... 
everybody trying to, with the exception of Wilkinson, everybody interviewed trying to sort of out self eulogize themselves. And also, that first 20 minutes covers the transition from amateurism, which is genuinely quite interesting. Yeah. Indeed. Like, so it starts obviously with, with Wilkinson, like talking about Johnny Wilkinson as a, a, a mildly terrifying fact that Johnny Wilkinson at the age of eight is watching the Rugby World Cup in 1987 and had, A, a notebook with his fucking life goals in it. When I was eight, my life goals were getting that massive Lego pirate ship and being allowed to stay up late enough to watch Red Dwarf. He says, he actually says, I wrote an essay to myself when I was eight. What? Like, I mean... Because I'm a little bit of a sociopathic weirdo. It, like, it really does indicate this whole sort of thing shows in quite vivid and terrifying detail that Johnny Wilkinson's perfectionism was quite clearly unhealthy and damaging. Absolutely, yeah. On a personal yeah. Side. Like, he can still remember that he spelt the word, word gauge wrong in a spelling test when he was a kid and he only got 19 out of 20. And he does a, a sort of awkward laugh after that, which is also yeah. kind of... Because he's trying to like, oh, isn't that funny that I still remember it? But actually you think, no, it's not. No, it's not no, funny it's not, at mate. all, that's Johnny. Fucking, that's fucking sending for CBT level worrying, mate. And I do, think he, I do like the fact that he's been quite open about this obsession. Thing, yeah. you know, it wasn't good for his mental health and actually he couldn't enjoy it and stuff like that. But still, it's... Um, but- well, it, it makes me feel for him properly because, like, we take I, it's easy to take the piss out of how zen he is these days. But wouldn't and, you just spend some time getting to that stage if you were him? Right. It's like the reason it was the reason that he was so good, but the sacrifices in terms of his personal and mental well-being must have been so damaging. And it's like it's probably the only thing that now enables him to function and have a nice life. And everybody, and, including so. this documentary, everybody, and I've noted this, actually, there's a massive, massive focus on Johnny Wilkinson in this documentary. Now, yep. everybody had a massive focus on him during that up to the World Cup, called it a one-man team and all that stuff. And that was never particularly fair then or particularly accurate then either. And no, yet still, all these years later, even with the benefit of hindsight, this documentary still yeah. just focuses kind of almost solely on him and his experience and his his whole life experience up to it. I mean, he's a, he, of course, <laughs> any any ten is a fulcrum of a team, and he, of course, he is or she. But it's it it's was still a, weird how over the top they are with it compared to you know when it was clearly a team effort, and you're talking to other people in the team, and you still make it. All about yeah. Wilkinson to the point where he's, you know, he probably talks, you know, as it's probably twice as much at as least, Johnson yeah, and twice Woodward. as anybody, I think, yeah. yeah. And it's, but yeah, as you say, as you were saying, like, a, can we talk about some quality '90s fashion on show at the start of this documentary? Mm. There's shell suits, there's dodgy knitwear, there's massive trainers. I mean, basically. He looks like he's hanging around Hoxton in 2020. Yes. But <laughs> it's... it wasn't worn ironically in any way at all. No, <laughs> no not at all. And it's also um, the, the England training camp from the mid-90s when they're all in non-matching kit and just running through left-to-right passes, <laughs> walking up at three-quarter yeah. pace up and down the pitch. <laughs> they're all in non-matching kit, but all of that kit says Selnet on it. Yeah, and there's or the sell- point, isn't it? You know, yeah. We'll come into that in a minute about payment because it, it becomes a thing. Magnificent use of um, "Don't Let Me Down Gently" by yes. the Wonder Stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who'd have thought that was good? straight out of Thatcher? A very weird intro altogether, basically. I mean, flipping to the end, then there's fucking there's the Libertines, isn't there? At yes, the end of don't it. look, 
back or whatever it's called, uh, is it? I can't remember yeah, what it's called. Uh, uh, what's called it Into the Sun, whatever yeah. it's called, yeah. Um, which I don't think was I think was released after two thousand and three. I'll just check that. Yeah, I think it was. The world of work has changed dramatically and organizations are evolving. A full or part-time MBA from UCD Smurfett School equips managers to react at pace and deliver change. Now is the time to transform your career and gain a new business network. Join our virtual MBA Experience Day on Saturday, November 20th. Register at smurfettschoolie forward slash events. UCD Michael Smurfett Graduate Business School. Developing impactful business leaders. Acast recommends podcasts we love. Changemakers is a new podcast series with me, Claire McKenna, talking to people who stand up, speak out or challenge us to think a little differently. It's about the greater good, families and children, respecting their own individuality. In the next couple of years, like I hope I never have to have conversations about racism ever again. Like, I just want to get to the stage where, you know, people are just people. Nobody's pooling the resources together and actually being able to show how much of an impact it will make when people do come together. Changemakers with Claire McKenna. Search for it now wherever you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the world's best podcasts, including the David McWilliams podcast, I'm Grandmam, and the one you're listening to right now. Don't look back into the suns. It would have been around about then. 2000, wasn't that until 2000? Oh, no, yeah. Yeah, 2003. Yeah, so bang in the... All right, I would have thought it was that early. Yep. So, um, yeah, so, I would have thought it was late as well. Yeah. Well, like Johnny Wilkinson walks in at the beginning and comes and sits down in a darkened interview room, and yeah. he's absolutely wearing a perfectly on brand sort of shirt from the what looks like it's from the Burton's Big and Tall range. <laughs> absolutely. To, to, it does, fit, yeah. to fit his neck. To but, barely, it, then it, but then it fits nowhere it's else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. And Martin Johnson looks like he's turned up to go to court. Yeah. Um, like full suit jacket, tie, blazer, cuff. Like, I feel like he's wearing his old school tie in the hope that that gets him off. Um, it's a, it, yeah, and then Clive just dressed like Clive, obviously. But you're less than five, apart from in the flip chart scene, which I'll come to in a bit. But you're less than, um, you're less than five minutes. That point about Johnny, right? You're less than five minutes in before he before he mentions the terms mental anguish. Yeah. Yeah, less than five minutes. See, like, oh, I thought this was a fucking joyful celebration of a win. Five yeah. minutes, man. He's like him. Um, he's like a rugby John Snow. You know when that he sort of said, "Hey, Johnny, what, yeah, yeah, yeah. Johnny, what do you think about going wide a bit more in this game?" Don't talk to me about playing wide. How could I think about playing wide? You haven't. Well, I've seen the darkness that awaits us all. <laughs> I've seen the well, dead walking. To, to, to shoot way ahead to. Um... <laughs> To when the uh, the right at the end, where he's saying that like the sort of the moment that he wishes that like he could live in forever is the moment between um, Mike Cat the ball basically leaving Mike Cat's foot to boot it out at the end of the extra time and the referee blowing his whistle and that's the that's the moment that he wishes because because and he doesn't say it. But you can see, you can hear it, sort of unspoken in it, that he's sort of thinking, once I've won the World Cup, then there's nothing else left for me to do, and then I will be sad because I've achieved everything in my life that I wanted to, and so he just. And I've wants seen to... the Army of the Dead. I yeah, don't want that exactly. ball to go out because the Army of the Dead are coming. 
But it's like it's that he wants to live in that moment between when he knows that he has achieved his goal, but that isn't but it, over. It is He's got nothing after it. He's got nothing left in his life once. He knows that once he lifts that so, World was, Cup, it's all over. He's got I mean, nothing left. I'm laughing almost in disbelief, to be honest, because I can't imagine what that must be like. But I genuinely believe that is what it's like. You know, 100%. Of course, I believe him. It must have been He's awful. A, a deeply damaged, in, you know, certainly during his rugby career, an unbelievably damaged and dysfunctional human being who used that you know the bits where they're talking about and again i'm going to jump here again because we're just fucking talking about the bits where what's face he gets with the newcastle trainer bloke steve black uh, steve black and steve black basically just sort of goes oh this guy's got some sort of obsessive compulsive disorder brilliant <laughs> this will mean that <laughs> yes i can feel and Wilkins is like yeah yeah he could tell that i was you know really dedicated and he fed off that and it's like no he could tell that you were dangerously obsessive compulsive and went well this means that this guy's going to be a psychotically good trainer and did it and he's like like this putting the thing in Johnny in Wilkinson's head about having like a sort of 24 hour mental CCTV imagine yeah. imagine CCTV is watching you 24 hours a day yeah the 24 hour mirror so what is he called 24 hour camera yeah. yeah no matter who else is around you get to the end of the day and you think have I done what I'm supposed to do today and of course, Johnny's answer would be no, no, I haven't. Yeah, no, I haven't. I've, <laughs> I, I've, I must I've, do more. There, there, there are tears that I haven't shed yet. I must, and things like things like he's him saying when he gets dropped in the '99 World Cup before the quarterfinal, and uh, Neil Back puts his hand on his shoulder and says, there's, "There's a lot of this tournament left to go," and he just bursts into tears on the bus. <laughs> oh God! It's it's, like, how it's the fuck is somebody not fucking getting? Get around him at this point and just be like, Johnny, I think you need to go and see a fucking shrink, mate. Yes. Immediately. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Like, genuinely made me think, I'm really glad Johnny Wilkinson is still here. Still here because... Andy and Brum <laughs> watching it felt, felt back, fed back and just said, you just want to give him a massive hug. You want to step into the screen and hug yeah. him, don't you? He's just, like, yeah. Genuinely terrifying. Like... I'm not sort of casting any aspersions, but it's like to take somebody with that mentality and basically just go, yeah, fucking lean into it. Become as obsessive and like self-damaging as you want because it'll make you a brilliant player. And it did make him a brilliant player. But it's like, fuck me, that could have gone badly. Yes. Well, it did go badly in many ways because he says he spent, he spent a long time being utterly miserable and scared, effectively. Yeah. And it basically seemed to ruin a lot of, you know, when the injury started coming in, it ruined most of the rest of his career until he went to Toulon and fucking learned to chill out a bit. That's a, it's amazing what a bit of sun will do, isn't it? Well, indeed. So anyway, anyway. the game starts, the, the, the document, after all that, the documentary starts, <laughs> really talk about how England had obviously been shite for years and this transition into professionalism. John does, John does a brilliant bit about reflecting on, he came into the Leicester youth team as a, an amateur and just kind mm. of shakes his head and laughs, thinking about the things that used to happen. <clears throat> and I think that's really interesting, actually, because that comment that he says about like playing top-level rugby, because you know he was playing top-level rugby in the amateur era, mm. and he said, you did it because you wanted to play rugby, and then you went back to work, which I think is really interesting when you... Because there are still people in the game, and in the game and out of it, to be honest, the still active rugby is that, you know, 
as opposed to a professional, you know, all the fucking rampant clubhouse bullshit and the hazing and the sexism and the violence and the bigotry and all of that stuff is just like, oh, you know, it's part of it. But in this era, the stakes were unbelievably low. It's like, oh, if you didn't like that environment yeah. and if you found it, well, you just would stop playing rugby. And they, nobody would, the people who were there didn't give a fuck. And like, it doesn't, how many amateur players were put off by rugby or that? But no, it's a professional sport. It's like, yeah, if you want to be part of rugby, you have to be part of that culture. And also, you've got a fucking contract that says you have to stay. Mm. <laughs> it's like, and it's no wonder that it causes so many more, pro- like, obviously, society's moved on, but it's no wonder that this clubhouse culture causes so many more problems now and in the professional era. Because people can't just quit if they don't like the way that people are behaving and the way that... It, I just thought that was really interesting. Mm. Yeah, no thought of it like him, that, Liz. Him sort of saying it like that just made me think, oh, yeah, all of a sudden all these, there are these professional players in academies or wherever that don't, don't have a choice but to just walk away and go to their job because they probably don't have one. So it starts in 94 in the amateur era and we mentioned the England camp with an on-matching kit. So this is still the Will Carlin... Rob Andrew days and all that, mm. and there's discussion about it. You know, there's a building momentum about it going professional. South Africa are back in the World Cup's coming, and <laughs> Dudley Wood, the chair of the oh RFU my God, at that time, this guy. he says, he Fuck says, what does he say? He goes, he goes, yes, money is a very corrosive influence mm, on things, and he says that, and it's over a shot of him and all his mates having like fucking swan and chips off a fucking <laughs> ivory plate at a massive fucking black tie event. Yeah. While England players fucking mug for fucking cell net and tenants. And fucking and, courage best bitter yeah, and stuff. Yeah. And he's, what does he say? He goes, oh, we would all like to be paid to follow our hobby, wouldn't we? And he's like, well, you're yeah. obviously getting fucking paid in food and fucking... Honestly, it meant like, I just could not have despised anyone more than him in that moment. Where he's just like, well, these players don't need to get paid for their hobby. But he, said, he says, you know, we're all rugby men, lucky enough to have lots of experience in running the rugby game and money. Oh, <laughs> it honestly made me just pray for Kerry Packer to just come in. I've never wanted Murdoch unleashed on people more. I know. <laughs> Nobody ever deserved it more than the, old, the RFU did at that moment. And he was talking about it being right. fun and recreation. And Will Carlin, actually, looking back on it, said a lot of sensible stuff as much as he, he kind of... did, to be fair. He you got verified for it, but he yeah. was fucking bang on. What did he say? He said, he said you know, they, they say it's just it's fun and recreation, but you don't have 70,000 people turning up to watch something that's just fun and recreation. And you <laughs> certainly don't have a World Cup for fun and recreation, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I want fucking paying, pal, basically. It was, yeah, and... Like the sort of the, the sniffy sort of disdain that they're going out of just like, oh, well, these Southern Hemisphere types are sort of doing, you know, they're turning professional. And it's like, you're just thinking, yeah, fucking right they are. I hope they fucking stick it to you for the next seven million years. <laughs> yes. It's like, I don't think I've ever developed such an instant disgust for somebody. As I mean, that, that was man. obviously what they were doing, the filmmakers. But of it course it was, absolute but like, treat, my, yeah. my, I think mine was more visceral than even it was intended. Ugh. So then, of course, the World Cup happens in 95, and then it's like, look, it's going to go professional, basically. Yeah. I'd kind of forgotten it wasn't quite professional at that point, although it looked yeah, very professional basically, in England basically but... refused to go professional for a year. And I'd completely forgotten the Packer versus Murdoch thing, where Murdoch basically bought all the unions, so then Packer bought all the players. 
as they played out their battle over rugby league and cricket and everything else they fucking row over. It's gloriously shit house, isn't it? Yeah. There's so much shit. Yeah, so you've like... got the tournaments, pal, but you've got no fucking players to play them because I've got more of the contact. And players like and players getting fucking really narky in press conferences when they're being asked about it. Do you see Sean like, Fitzpatrick's face? Fuck when he got me, asked, Sean Fitzpatrick. Like <laughs> if I was that fucking journalist, I'd have pegged it. Absolutely <laughs> pegged it. If Sean Fitzpatrick looked at me like that. Because <laughs> uh, weirdly, anyway, Fitzpatrick's got quite a kindly face for a big has, frightening but man. Then, but then what, when what it you realise when it when his face drops. Yes. And he looks at you with those eyes. You just think, "Whoa, yeah, that's, that's how you, that's how you captain your country." I'm sorry, Sean. Something inside me sort of fell on its side there when you looked at me like that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. but well, and even like you said, even when they decided yeah. to go pro, even then the RFU went, "But we're going to put it on hold for a year." Yeah. Why? Just because it's that last vestiges of that we fucking still think we run shit, which yeah. is what. Yeah, it's blatantly. Martin Johnson sort of says at various times that things were about control. Yes. And people in seats in Twickenham boardrooms thinking that they could tell these players what to do. And gradually, over the course of, you know, a few years of back and forth, it's the players just going, no, 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 no. Yes. Until we get where we are today, I bet you at some point Dudley Wood and his cohorts were in. Were in I bet in a room somebody said at least five times at different times. I mean, this is like the animals taking over the zoo. I bet they said things like that, didn't they? I bet that's exactly what they said. Yeah, the lunatics are running the asylum. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. Um, uh, so the yes. word "betters" was used in that boardroom so many oh, times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, you can't blame them. They don't really understand, do they? This is the thing. You know, is that kind of, um, hey, there was one interview though, and in the background, I suddenly I looked at the pitch and I suddenly thought to myself, "When did that stop?" Because it has stopped, and I don't remember when it stopped. There was a freshly mown pitch behind, um, I think it was Will Carlin or Rob Andre, behind him, and it still had the two-inch-long grass with the shorter you know grass on the line. You know it was. It wasn't. It wasn't Twickenham. It was the old National Stadium in Cardiff. And was, it was it? A, I think it was a BBC Wales report, and I know it's exactly the same thing. I was like, "Fuck me! When did they stop?" Because I that remember that, and it clear as day. I remember. Like, oh, yeah. God, they just don't do that anymore, do they? That slightly yeah. long, which is supposed to what break your fall when ten massive men fall on you, as opposed to cut grass in the normal <laughs> length. Yeah. I've not been down a fucking amateur clubhouse for a long time, I have to say. But I wonder if amateur clubs are still doing it. Let us know, please. Yeah. So anyway, Um, Woodward gets... After the 95 World Cup, Lomu, etc., Woodward gets the job. Are you going to say something else there before we move on to this? Um, I was just going to say, like, you can sum up Clive Woodward's entire galaxy-sized ego, and I will come back to this over the course (laughs) of this. Um, in that that in in the whiteboard scene that you're talk, you're about to talk about, no. If doubt. you haven't seen it, ladies and gentlemen, it's a whiteboard scene, <laughs> and he's got a flipboard up, and it's the title yeah. of it is fastball. Yeah. And then underneath it, obviously, it's him trying to communicate something about fastball. It says technique twenty five percent, attitude seventy five percent. But flat ball, not fastball, flat ball. But yeah, yeah go on. But the best thing about that then is it then pans down. And underlined, it says, underneath all of those things, it says, the key thing is the coach. <laughs> that's that's just him. 
in an absolute nutshell. But it's also, why does that need to be on a flip chart? You could have just said, the thing about flat ball, lads, is you've yeah. all got the technique. It's just about the attitude. It's mostly about yeah. attitude. Let's go. But instead, yeah. no, it's on no, a flip 70, chart so you can point at 75, it. 25. Just in case you don't understand. He also has a full fucking spam head and a massive <laughs> Pringle jumper in the, on. In, in that fucking... In, particularly when he's wearing those little weird concentration camp surgeon glasses at the start. Like... And with, as you say, with the full Mr. Burns, mega Dominic Cummings vibes. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he looks like a man who loves a bit of herd immunity and game theory at that point. <laughs> Come that on. picture with him in the jumper. <laughs> the fucking jumper. Like a proper pr- hideous grey Pringle jumper. That was, that was the fucking fashion of the day. People no, it was that. not. It, and he was only 40 years old at that point. <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe chunky I'm jumpers. Of my chunky jumpers were of the time, but not a Pringle yeah. one. Yeah, maybe I'm thinking of my grandfather <laughs> who played who played golf. So, yeah. so Woodward gets the job. What I like about it as well, he says that he turned up on his first day and said to, I think it was, was it Nigel Woolbers then, yeah. whoever was the fucking guy at the RFU then. He said, "Hello, I'm here to, I'm the England coach." And he went, "What are you doing here?" So, well. Where's my office? We haven't got an office. What do you mean I haven't got an office? It's like, well, I thought you'd work from home. No. <laughs> Why the fuck would I work from home? <laughs> I want <a> office. <laughs> to be fair to me, right? I mean, he is a bit yeah, of a... That's the thing. He's a bell, but it does. It really does emphasise that they are really starting from fucking square one with this professionalism yeah. shit. Like, it's... There's not a lot of... They'd had coaches before. He was coaching at London Irish, you know, but... You know, Jack Rowell, in 95, Dick Bess was before that. But yeah. it's it's not exactly high level, is it? Jack Rowell, the, the reason why Neil Back didn't really get a load of the truckload of caps till he was in his late tw- till his mid late twenties was Jack Rowell just didn't fancy it because he wasn't Mike Teague. Basically, <laughs> he wasn't that massive fucker. So <laughs> Yeah. Um, and also one thing I've noticed throughout this, and you start as soon as Woodward appears, you notice it. Um, he always says I and never we when he's talking about coaching decisions, which it seems so weird put through the prism of like modern coach speak, mm. where it's always about the collective. It's always about the coaching team. You know, you hear Gatlin talk, you hear Schmidt talk, you hear Eddie Jones talk even, who's not a man that's short of an ego. Yeah. It's still talking about how, you know, we, the coaching team, make the decision or we decided to do this or we did that. It's always I with him. It's always I. And given how fated his assistants were, I wonder how they feel about the fact that he talks about it like that. Mm. It's like, I decided to do this. I decided to bring this player on. I decided... It's like... Did you? So he's a... And then these, the, the first thing they focus on is that... And I suppose they, 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 they mentioned the tour of hell in 98. And I yes. think it is easy to forget that it was only five years between that tour and winning a World Cup. Mm. Which doesn't seem like a short amount of time, but I think in the in the life of an international team, it can't. You know, it's a short amount of time. I said, like you said, where they started from. So, of course, to get to this summit, it's just worthwhile dwelling on this a minute, only because the first team were all pretty knackered. So we had mm. to pick like a small, a shorter team to go and face. <laughs> this they lost seventy. In case you don't remember, anybody out there, they lost seventy six nil on the sixth of June, nineteen ninety eight, in Brisbane to Australia. The Australian, the England team that day, which are young people and whatever, was fullback was Tim Stimson. Remember him, yeah? Yeah. Wing, Spencer <laughs> Brown. No fucking idea. Don't remember him <laughs> at all. 
Outside centre was Matt Perry, who became who was a fullback for a few years. Yeah. Inside centre was Steve Ravenscroft, who I, I vaguely remember. Wing was Austin I Healy. No memory of him at all. Yeah. Johnny Wilkinson. Remember that guy, which I could forget. If I'm <laughs> Johnny Wilkinson was at ten, obviously, and eighteen years old. Scott Benton was at nine. Very little memory of him. In fact, by very, I mean none. Uh, Graham Roundtree, Graham yeah. Roundtree, Richard Cockrell, Phil Vickery. Yeah, I'm on on solid ground there. Danny Grucock and Gareth Archer. Yeah, solid ground with those two in the second yeah. row. Back row, Ben Sternum. A blind side. Don't Rich, believe that. Doesn't sound like a real person. Richard Poole Jones. Again, Open sounds side. like no idea. Absolutely no sounds memory. like a. A rugby game that hasn't got the rights to the players. <laughs> yes. Would call an England back rower. Captain and number eight, Tony Diprose. Yeah, remember him. Uh, and then on the bench, Stuart Potter, Ben Clark. Yeah, Dominic Chapman, Alex King, Dave Sims, Duncan Bell and Phil Greening. Now, that England team, just, just bear that in mind, everybody and Josh. Mm. Let me read the Australia team that they sent that team out to face. Okay. <laughs> in Australia. In Australia. Yeah. Fullback, Matt Burke. Winger, yeah. Ben Tune. Centres, Dan Herbert and Tim fucking Horan. The other wing was Decent. Joe Roth. George Gregan and Stephen Larkham was the halfback pairing. <laughs> and the pack was Richard Harry, Phil Kearns, Andrew Blades, Tom Bowman, John Eels, Matt Cobain, David Wilson and Tutai Kefu. Have some of that. I mean, I mean 76 still is probably a... You know, some yeah. sort of. I like, love the way it was quite cemented. It was thirty. Right. 30 yeah. It was thirty-three nil at half time as well. They saved. They yeah. spaced it out. They spaced exactly. to hide it out over the. Some, some teams, yeah. Some teams will get it done by half time and then spend the second <laughs> half just sort of coasting. Australia were like, nah. <laughs> Do <laughs> not make this, remove your foot from their throat at any time. We're, we're going to make this hurt all the way and George Gregan was particularly awful about it wasn't he as well well you take your legs oh. sometimes you know and everybody be- <laughs> likes to beat England <laughs> yeah so, so it was after this that Lawrence Denayo gets appointed captain and there's a great line in, a, in mm. he's, he, he's so Brent isn't he at times Woodward, where he says running a rugby team is no different to a small business because before that he had, a, he had a small business with 10 people in as an offshoot Would from you- an, off Xerox. Shoot, an yeah. offshoot from his career in Xerox. What is it about rugby and fucking photocopiers, mate? <laughs> um, but can we, I think there's a there's a really a sort of because Matt Dawson is is in this occasionally as well. Yes. Um, and he makes a, a very sort of interesting comment about basically at this point, Clive Woodward would literally buy any old motivational yeah. or performance-enhancing shit that somebody put in front of him. I mean, that is, A, funny. Yes. It's blatantly true. But it's both kind of... It makes sense. Because, like, it's like being... It's used as a... Like, the management bollocks is used as a stick to pizza Clive with. And absolutely, that's fair enough. Yes. However... If you are effectively starting from square one... And somebody gives you a load of fucking money, don't forget. Yeah, and somebody gives you a 40 million quid or whatever it is, or 40 million (laughs) dollars they spent between fucking 1999 and 2003. Um, But on the one hand, yeah, he bought into so much dreadful management bollocks that continues to blight the game to this day, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, But on the other hand, yeah, rugby just turned pro. Nobody knew 
how to be professional rugby coaches or what would and wouldn't work. In modern terminology, they were looking for marginal gains and he was just, to be fair to him, he was ahead of his time. In he that was way. ahead of his time. And I think that when you are a, um, when you first through the wall, you're going to make <laughs> mistakes, aren't you? You're yeah. going to do something like that. Looking back, that didn't make any sense, but you know, at least I made a fucking decision and gave it a go. And I do think as well, this is the late 90s. This, I think this is when the consultancy era really comes into Absolutely. its own, isn't it? So the consultancy spam he must have been being offered. Oh, massively. Went, yeah, I'll have some of that. But yeah, I'll have some fact, of that. The fact that he absolutely still believes that everything he did was brilliant when his players are openly ripping the piss out of it <laughs> in the documentary, really, does yeah. say a lot, mind. Yes. Um, um, however, po- on. speaking of appointing fucking Delalio, am I the only one who totally forgot about his drug scandal? Well, Absolutely. in that, it isn't in the front of my mind all the time, but as soon as he, he said he was captain, oh, yeah, I remember why he's not captain no more now. Yeah. I totally feel like, genuinely, when you boil this shit down, right, he admitted on fucking tape to doing a load of fucking coke and ecstasy, ecstasy in the 90s, uh, bragged about selling it uh, in the amateur and then admitted that he'd done drugs on the Lions tour a year earlier. And somehow... He gets a slap on the wrist, he loses the England captaincy and gets fined 15 grand and everything's fine. It's fine. Can you fucking imagine if that had happened, if Owen Farrell admitted dealing drugs in 2020? (laughs) Like, even if he was denying it, they had him on fucking tape. What's funny is... He would never get near a rugby field again. Clive Woodward says, I brought him in, I brought him into my house, I sat him down, I said, what's happened? He told me and I I believed believed him. Which translates as, he's my captain, I think he's brilliant, and I don't want him to fucking not play, is what that (laughs) translates as. And then Delalio gives his public statement afterwards, and he's properly a bit pissed off, saying, saying, you know, I mean, you know, I completely deny this. I follow the line of questions that the journalists instigated, by the way. What? Have you ever done drugs, drugs, Lawrence? Yeah, yeah. yeah. See if you can avoid the cunning trap that Lawrence Delalio fell into, Josh. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, here we go. I'm a journalist. Yeah. Ready? I'm Lawrence Delalio in this. Well, you, yeah. you be you in this. See if you could... You okay. Can see if you could... Because Lawrence said it was tricky. And you're not as experienced yeah, as yeah, Lawrence yeah, yeah. and as high yeah. profile. So here we go. Yeah. Right, Josh. You rob banks and spend the money on illegal rhino poaching, don't you? No. Whoa! See, how have you managed to do that? That's really... <laughs> He basically, he basically made out the stuff about him fucking selling it was him trying to give it the big one, which is almost more tragic than just admitting that you You are the captain of the England fucking rugby team when you're yeah. trying to give it the large oh, yeah, yeah. one I to sold, a bloke I in a sold, club. I sold some fucking... Oh, drugs. yeah, yeah. I'm not just a fucking rugby captain. I sold fucking loads of drugs, took drugs. Yeah, I'm fucking mad for the drugs. I've, done, I've triple dropped fucking today before I've come out, if I'm honest. It's less fucking lame to admit it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the amateur era, I fucking sold drugs to make some money. I'm very, very sorry. That would have been the better yeah. thing to say, wouldn't it? Yeah. Instead of I was just trying to act the big man by pretending to sell drugs. And it's the way the Clive Woodward goes. Yeah. And I looked him in the eye and he told me the two. He's like, "No, you sat there and you went, you fucking knob. You've done this, haven't you?" And he went, "Yes." Went, right, and let's make up some shit that will just about be plausibly <laughs> deniable. That's what happened, allegedly. Oh, allegedly. Oh. It is funny, and it, but it is funny that people never talk about this when, arguably, like one of the biggest, you know, so yeah, fucking. Have you seen what's come up with got... him last week? Oh no, Delalio. 
Well, they've raided a house of ill repute in London and found that receipts of him paying money there. Although they're very clear to point out, it doesn't detail what he spent the money on. Just that they've found, as part of a discovery for an unrelated case in the court, Lawrence Delalio's name paying 10 grand. He spent up to 10 grand in a broth. I mean, drinks are very expensive there, you know. I deny all of this. I was just following a line of questions that the that the prostitute in, that they instigated, by the way. Oh, it's so shit. It's, it's so the like the reaction of somebody that has never been media trained at this point, you know. And I kind of quite like, like that in a way. I appreciate. I quite enjoyed it. It's like Lawrence just getting arsy with the journalist for having the temerity to say. Have you ever done drugs, Lawrence? I didn't go, yeah. And then see, getting arsy with the journalist for doing it. Is people, people slag the news of the world with good reason, right? But uncovering stuff like this was funny. <laughs> and also, don't forget that we would know nothing about the cricket match fixing and all that stuff without the news of the world. For all They did a yeah. load of shit, and I've got no, not a great deal of sympathy for them, but however, that kind of like really fucking awkward twat journalism does have its place <laughs> it does it's 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 important because it's shining fucking light on yeah. things that people would rather you don't and see and it takes like, unsavory people to do it frankly so you know and that's yeah. including like spending money from your own bank cards during a visit to a discreet georgian townhouse in holborn london which also offered clients cocaine we and must court, stress that we do not know what Lawrence have spent money on in there all we know is that in a court case in discovery we found out he spent money there that's payments, it. payments of up to ten grand. Payments, plural. <laughs> we don't know what the payments were for, but we do know where it was spent. That's all we know. Uh, anyway, anyway, anyway. So, nineteen ninety nine World Cup happens. That skated over, and how it didn't go. They lost to New Zealand, then the fucking whole losing to January beers, drop goals, and all that kind of stuff. We've 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 actually got episodes on the. 99 World Cup, if you want to listen to it on the Patreon, if you fancy having a look back there, it is back there. Mm. So after this, he decides to go, he spends even more money after 99. Well, he actually thought he was going to lose his job because he said before that World Cup, judge me on this, and then obviously it didn't go so well. Yeah. So he thought he was going to get a bullet, but they stuck with him. So after that, he went real fucking super, Clive, didn't he? Because he then... Well, the glasses come off. The glasses. He (laughs) he gets fucking laser surgery. Yeah. And he, um, he brings Andy Robinson in. He brings yeah. Dave Orbit in, he brings Phil Larder in, or, or at least he, that's, that's the three he puts together. What is interesting is that there's no mention at all of Brian Ashton, who came in for two years between 2000 and the end of 2001, and arguably mm. England played their best rugby ever in those two years. And there's no mention that he was even there. I, think, I, I always think it, the things that aren't talked about in this are almost more interesting than... Yeah. the things that are because there's clearly a narrative and because you know like there's all this talk about like all of these you know marginal gains things that he's doing you know to hmm. get England over the line at no point do they mention one of the most important things for that 2003 England team which is Nike developing the fucking super duper skin skin tight skin tight spandex kit, which oh, yeah. when you look at them, which when you look at them opposite everyone else, 
is a and what we now know about rugby in terms of making it harder to grab onto you, making it harder to bind on you, etc., etc., etc. Fucking game changing because now everyone does it. I think France had the and, same kit, didn't they? But France had the same kit, and South Africa had the same kit, so it can't be a sort of Sir Clive innovation. Ah, I see, it was a yeah. Nike innovation, <laughs> so it's totally airbrushed from history. And then you see them fucking play in Wales, and it's like they're billowing fucking cotton shirts. And <laughs> you're Australia. Like, yes. Yeah, Each shirt weighs three stone. It's it's really fucking interesting what what is and isn't said. But yeah, Clive takes the glasses off, everything starts working. Can we get reprints of those oh, mental posters post- that he makes? Now he makes posters, <laughs> and we get a little yes, snap. I kept pausing it to read Honestly, what was on I the kept poster. To read them. They're amazing. It was in full early two thousands England font was as well. It was all yeah, yeah. it was all branded in like England yeah. font. Um, and what's interesting, we mentioned Lancaster before, the lovely guy that he is. It was all the kind of shit that Lancaster eventually got pilloried for. Yeah. Because the epilogue to anything is written by the winner, isn't it? So because it yeah. didn't work for Lancaster, it was a symbol of how he was too focused on that bollocks. Whereas with mm. Woodward, it's it's all part of his genius. Eulogised, yeah, yeah. Um, um, yes, so he has the, every area of the game has its own motivational, very detailed motivational poster. There's about fucking 70 words on each of those posters. <laughs> There's a section. Like clear communication, is there? There's a section called Must Lead. An entire section is called Must Lead. <laughs> and a list of the things, and I'm assuming they must lead, right? Yeah. And this is a list of them. The first, <laughs> the top of the list is you must lead rail track. Yes. I saw that. And I I don't know what that is. What does that mean? Power running. Yeah, in similar vein, there's a thing that just says turnover, and then underneath it just says ice. Oh, that's that's, that's an an acronym for something, and I can't remember what it is. Oh, is it? Yeah, like teacup. That's one they kept using. Was it something, something under pressure? I can't remember. But anyway, in this must-lead section, rail track, power running offload, contact, kicking and catching, Footwork, width. How do you lead width? I'm you, you just run to the fucking tram line as quickly. Follow me. <laughs> early, early career Johnny May. He was a leader in width. Um, height at linehouse is another one. Guard defense and turnover. And then there's an entire section underneath, which we only see the title of, and there's not the rest of it, which is simply called Adding to Our Armory. I don't know what was under it, but I want to know. There is so much correlation, equaling causation thinking going on in Woodward's brain throughout (laughs) this. And you can really see it. Like, some fucking fucking businessman who's got nothing to do with rugby comes in and tells him that the players should change their shirts at halftime. That's straight out of, like, dress 80-city bullshit. And then, of course, he does it. The England players change their shirts at halftime and they play well after halftime against France for a change. And all of a sudden, it works. And it was so obvious. Yeah. It's like, no, mate. You just happened to play better because you were wearing, like, oh, just like... There's there's two clear narratives in this, which is really interesting, I think. Is there's, Whenever you hear Woodward talking, it's Woodward determined to make the World Cup win and England success down to his think innovative thinking and coaching genius and sort of the number of times that you you hear him telling players to trust you know, he says to that he told players to trust the coaching and trust the system and all this sort of stuff. And then 
you talk to Wilkinson and Delalio and uh, not Delalio, um, Johnson and um, who else is there? Fucking Dawson. Um, yeah. Dawson in particular is kind of oh yeah, you know. Yeah. It's Although he's probably that kind of character, he wouldn't buy into it, would he? I don't think. No, but it's like the players putting it down to them working and training harder than everybody else, learning from so many disappointments, and then being really together as a group after that whole player strike thing bringing them all together as a squad as a that really was tight thing actually yeah, yeah everything was. was like much tighter after that because it was a strike over money wasn't it and again yeah the RFU was apoplectic that people might have an opinion about yeah how dare want... you how dare you bite the hand <laughs> that feeds you and Dawson said that it was over a matter of basically like 250 quid for an appearance fee to when they sort of got to do yeah. But it was to do with image rights, basically. It's like, yeah. oh, if you want us to, t- if you want us to turn up to do a sponsor thing, we want two hundred and fifty quid, and that caused the England players to go on strike for a week before the Six Nations. It's like, imagine that in this day and age, it's absurd. It's at this point as well that Woodward talks about everyone gets the England bl- the England black book. Do you remember that bit? Oh my god, that fucking black book! It's a little black notebook with the with the with the embossed company. Yeah, it was embossed with the maker's name. I was trying to figure out what it was because I desperately wanted it to be made by Filofax (laughs) or Moleskin. (laughs) No, Moleskin would be too cool. That's the thing. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, so it's embossed, and in it is all the how to conduct yourself on the pitch. Then at the the second half of it is how to how to conduct yourself in life. I imagine Delalio said in it, don't brag about buying cocaine to journalists, was like the first line. Uh, but yeah, sort of. I mean, we can this... sniff at it, but the thing is, it is some of it was painfully ridiculous because it's going to be, because he was just pulling the trigger on everything, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah do that. Yeah, do absolutely. I've just yeah, been on this training course. Do that. Yeah. I'm just, yeah. I've just learned textbook. To... Textbook person that goes on a training course and then comes back and says that everybody should do it Full that way now. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, um, but you know, it's, and a lot of people listening will say, What the fuck have you done? He won a World Cup. And he did. And he did genuinely change rugby. It's still yeah. faintly ridiculous looking at it now, though. Yeah. And it's the way the players <laughs> find it faintly ridiculous as well, which, yeah. which gives, makes me feel better about the way I feel about it. Yeah. So, they were there winning it, you know, arguably because of that. And they were just like, this seems like absolute bollocks, to be honest. The things it doesn't cover is an interesting one, isn't it? Like you've already mentioned, no Brian Ashton, nothing about the shirt. There's no mention at all, which I think would have been interesting. No mention about those lost Grand Slams. Yeah. For four years, three years. Yeah, three, yeah. four years on the on the bounce. And how that affected them and how they, because it was always at the end of a tournament then you work back together again for a few months I think it would have been really interesting, interesting to have some reflection on that but again probably not part of the narrative it was all part of but it would have been really because you said because they were still building because it, it would have been how did you get over not quite getting over the line because actually they won the Grand mm. Slam in 03 there was something about 03 it, that all came together wasn't there is it because it's too easy at, easy to sort of then go well this group of players got lot had so many disappointments that eventually they learned to sort of overcome them yes. and not be afraid of them. And then the flips and that sort of diminishes the Clive is a genius narrative <laughs> a little bit. Well, and like you said, once the, world, then, once the World Cup starts, it gets a little bit boring because all the, comment, all the comments, it falls back into kind of banalities. Like I believed we could do it and the boys were playing yeah. well. So we just kept going and, 
stuff yeah. like that. There's a bit of reflection on the fact they were playing poorly because they were. Yeah, and they were. Keep... And let's not. And the... there's there's nothing at all dwelling on the fact that basically it was a pissy. They got the not piss easy, but they got the best side of the draw. Yeah, they mentioned there's it a one bit, mention. There's one mention where they say they get to avoid New Zealand, but at no point do they mention that that New Zealand team could very well have absolutely battered that England team when they were playing the way that they were playing. And there's something about the Australian hoodoo, which kind of puts... puts yeah, yeah. If the whole form book goes out of the window at that era with Australia and New Zealand. But yeah, one one point in this in the actual World Cup bit, though. When was the last time you heard a Welsh person say the word boyo? Oh, <laughs> yeah. I know he's explained for people who may not have seen Because it. Clive seems to think that Welsh people were saying, and I quote... Boyo this and boyo that, as uh, and banging yeah. on the coaching box. As I walk when, down the tour, yeah. you're not going to win anything, boyo and boyo <laughs> this and boyo that. Who was sat behind you? Fucking Windsor Davis. <laughs> yeah, the entire cast of Grand Slam. Fucking, <laughs> it's. I mean, it's it's a little bit sort of revealing. That's all I'm going to say. So in, in the, when the, the Wales game is interesting because obviously Wales at half time, and Martin Johnson says, and in a way this is very insulting, but I actually quite liked it because he was being honest about how he saw himself and the team when he said, we were behind and all I could think of, none of these guys would even get in our team. And He's correct be- though. And we've beaten four years on the bounce. Well, I don't know. I think Alfie are getting ahead of Dan Luger. True, yeah. And but get- that, that attitude is kind of what, that and that goes back to sort of talking about the the sort of the squad mentality that they had that they were so tight and they believed that they were all the best that they could mm. get you know and also Wales were quite shit at that point let's be honest <laughs> and it was just let's give it a I mean how can you say that Kerry Sweeney wouldn't get in ahead of Johnny Wilkinson what the fuck is wrong with you <laughs> so, the, um, Jonathan Thomas ahead of Neil Back what a fucking fed though from Sweeney for that try I mean, it's great isn't it um, and so, they, they do do a, a mighty job of not at any point like demonstrating how shit England are playing in this World Cup as well it's like yeah. aside from that fucking South Africa game at the start they absolutely they sort of talk they 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 touch on it with the Wales quarter final because they have no choice. Yeah. But it's like Wales played them off the fucking park for like quite a lot of that. Well, they, game. they talk about not having the ball against Samoa for twenty minutes, don't they? There was we we gave yeah. the ball and didn't get it back for like twenty five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to tell them a little bit more? Nah. Um this is also the World Cup of gloves. Oh, gloves with England flags on them. Gloves with England flags on. Is there anything worse? But yeah. also in the like, everyone's wearing fucking gloves at this point. It's mad. Gloves. Marginal gains. This, this was the gloves and the 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 plaster on the nose. Remember that thing? Yeah. It was meant to open up your airways more or something. There must have been ear, nose, and throat fucking surgeons just shaking their head <laughs> watching this every week. Yeah. But um, the other thing is there's a lot of this is Woodward voiceovers that are quite clearly scripted, and let's just say he's yeah. not a very good actor. Yeah. The scripted bits are really very, very not. obvious. So then I brought on Mike Cat at halftime because that seemed like a sensible thing to do, sort of thing. Um, <laughs> it is basically that. Yeah. Um, the other thing um, is that we, a, they played a, 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 very a well in that, friend, that France semi, right? They played very yes. well in that. 
Did you notice when it was showing the team room before the France semi, the two flip charts that were on the wall? I didn't know. In the background, two flip charts, both headed, titled Weather. Yeah. And there were five (laughs) bullet points on each flip chart. It was like, what is the, what, I mean, surely you could have just written, it's pissing down. Do you know what? Do you know? Do I tell you what? There's there's a there's a bit in again when they're in the team room before that. It might be before the final actually, when there's literally like bits of flipboard that have been ripped off a chart and stuck on a wall, and each one of them, and there's about seven of them in a line. I think it just says like professional mentality, just written professional mentality, professional mentality, professional mentality, like seven times. I think it was lines for Lawrence Delalio. You've done yeah. it again, Lawrence. I want seven <laughs> lines. You will write professional mentality. Not that kind of lines. <laughs> yes, boom. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, uh, and then and to be fair about not playing well, they played a perfect game against France, and that was the game well, when did. Wilkinson was fucking outstanding. Yeah. And that's when it all became about one team. I did like when he showed the the Roy and HG the Aussie. Comedian guys, you say, well, we've seen their two game plans. They've got a wet one and a dry one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we've seen them both. Yeah. Um, word of appreciation, actually, for the only good joke Clive Woodward has ever made in his life, as well, which yes. is the uh, man outside his hotel room shouting "boring" and him saying, "Well, I was with my wife in bed with my wife at the time," oh, which zinger. genuinely very good. Gag. Genuinely funny, yeah. He absolutely thought about that a long time ago. <laughs> he wrote that down seven times. Yeah. <laughs> but still, appreciation for the only funny thing he's ever said. The other thing as well, in the final, crowd scene in the final, it pans yeah. past a bloke in full England kit and a fucking Saddam Hussein rubber mask. It's Iraq war, mate. I know it was the Iraq war, but I don't understand, I don't understand <laughs> that. When was Saddam captured? Let's, let's do... <laughs> Let's do let's, let's let's timeline this. So in I don't understand. If they, had, if they had an effigy of Saddam Hussein like being shot, and even it'd be ridiculous, but I don't understand that. But just having a rubber mask on of Saddam Hussein doesn't make any sense. Oh, okay, maybe because this was after he'd been deposed in right. April two thousand and three, but he wasn't apprehended in his little uh, hole in the ground. Until the thirteenth of December, so he was on the run. Was it somebody pretending to be Saddam then? Somebody, somebody making a gag about you've been looking for Saddam. He's uh, in, in Australia watching England the World Cup final. I mean, yeah, it's not great, is it? It's Andre Watson. Man. Andre Watson, by the way, a big shout out to Andre Watson, referee in the final. I never noticed before until I watched it again. His absolute peak early two thousand sideburns. Big star. On a man Big in his forties, like slightly balding, yeah, yeah. but perfect long to the bottom of the earlobe sideburns going on. <laughs> slightly too thin. Yeah. He's taken a little bit too much of the edge off. Yeah, yeah. too much of a point on him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I do remember they were saying about how he gave him not in the second half. I do remember being absolutely mystified at the kind of things he was ruling on in the second half. It was very, very bizarre. Yeah, and it's 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 easy to forget how home and host England seemed to be at half time, and they add up, and then it, the wheels just. When came. you watch it again now, it is honestly I can't. I actually can't watch the game again now because I get so fucking angry 
and how we didn't just fucking sort have it done and dusted and kept letting fucking Elton fucking flatly keep him in the game. He kicked beautifully. you got to give it he to him. He did kick beautifully. What's your opinion? Because it divides opinion, this. It's divisive on that Australian shirt. Uh, I the got a lot of time for that shirt. It's, it's, it's unique, sort of the, if nothing else, isn't it? It's unique, and it's one of the last baggy rugby shirts. It's True. not properly baggy, but it's one of the last sort of old-fashioned rugby shirts before they... Because after this World Cup, everybody went super skin tight because of England and because of, you know, that whole... And it would never go back again. But that, that sort of era of Canterbury shirt... I've got the island shirt from that era as well. It's very, very nice. It's very nice, that one, yeah. Slightly more green than it is now. Yes, More of a pea green to it, if you don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's not not beat around the bush. As moments of sporting drama go, even as somebody that has, you know, has skin in the game, and that skin is intense dislike. Um, Like Wilkinson's drop goal, is undeniably probably one of the most dramatic and iconic ways to end a game that in the history of sport, full stop. Off his wrong it's foot. A remar- it's a remarkable thing. It is, and, a, you know, yeah, it, a sport, as, as you say, a sporting drama goes, it's it's unbelievable, yeah. Yeah. It's just a shame it also led to England winning a World Cup, really. But you know. Clive Lordwood still been on the telly. Yeah, forever and ever. The epilogue, imagine if they lost it... this game. Imagine how Sir Clive's methods would like how rugby would have changed if they lost this game. Mm. And the <laughs> and then in the, the the blurb at the end that it goes across different players about how Johnson retired and and it said Woodward it said Woodward left after falling out of the RFU, which is true, and it just jumps to and then he became head of GB and culminating the twenty twelve yeah. Olymp- London Olympics, as if. But, Something, what are you trying to say there? And you're also so basically nothing about Southampton and that he basically <laughs> delivered the London Olympics for 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 Great Britain is basically yeah. where that jumps to. I don't believe any of that. <laughs> it's yeah, because it wasn't he on the to- Leicester Tigers board for a while. I don't know. He played. I for seem Leicester, to remember didn't he? it. Didn't he play? Yeah, for he played. I think he was like a non-executive director or something in between after the whole Southampton debacle. And then, yeah, I mean, fair play to him. Maybe he did do good stuff at uh, at the BOA. I don't know. But it's it, everything that happened to Sir Clive after this, in the immediate aftermath, really did make me think that people got very carried, in a sort of very early 2000s way, got very carried away with unconventional thinking in the boardroom. Yes. Which is kind of very peak two thousands. Instead of just going, well, what did he, what did he actually do? What did he actually achieve? And what he actually achieved was bringing together a very very talented team and galvanised them in a way that meant that when shit was going sideways as it did in the final, they had the fortitude to to stick to their plan and stick with it. And that's more all the sort of stuff that he clearly loves. All of the sort of and he did pull to it. Doesn't it? Doesn't it's it's not as easy as saying those players are so good. He actually went through a few iterations of squads over the years. Yeah, he and did, even yeah. if you look at like 2001, 18 months out, it still wasn't that team as it was. It, it did develop a little no. bit more. So actually, it's you know, and he did very actively go after Jason Robinson, 
and say, you know, this is yeah. exactly what we fucking need. Yeah. And I know that he can say, well, of course, because he's he was great. Right. But actually, he was rugby league player. It's not easy to go and do that, you know. And no. how many players that you know? How many players did Sir Clive try to bring over that didn't pan out? Yes. You know, true. But, but uh, Jason Robinson was one of them. I mean, we can laugh at it. Absolutely stuck. Which we have done. I think his legacy is an interesting one. I mean, the 2005 Lions, which again, we've done a Patreon episode on, we can talk about that. He shredded his own legacy there because he'd just been yeah. smelling his own farts for so long, I think, that it, it became mad. I think you're probably right, But yeah. you can't deny the fact that he he did change rugby, and I think largely for the better. I think he did drag it, England rugby anyway. I mean, England were a fucking laughing stock for years. And he, even he in, in the it. early 90s, it was still patchy. You know. He dragged England into pure into a real professional environment, and everybody else followed. Steve, he almost defined you know. what professional rugby was. Is didn't he? In a way, yeah, for better he did. Or for worse, I mean, really. and it, yeah, I don't think we should understate what an important impact that had on the game. However, he did also write an autobiography called "Winning" with an exclamation point in two thousand and four. So, did he say it's twenty five percent technique and seventy five percent attitude? Is that all it was? <laughs> yeah. That's just too bad. It's just it's just a replication of that for four hundred pages, <laughs> seven times on a flip chart. Yeah. <laughs> and then the P.S. Don't tell journalists you like buying cocaine. Um, so the uh, should we do shit good and finish off this this little rampant jaunt? Yes, I suppose we should. Shouldn't uh, we, yeah. Gordon White gets in touch and says, "Shit is remembering I've had to I have to endure." building Jerusalem, he says, but good is remembering how shit it is. It isn't the best documentary. It is for about it's half an hour. Brilliant. The first yeah. half an hour is good. That's genuinely kind of enlightening. Rob Warlow gets to it says, shit is Gary Barlow duetting with any other singer and crooning for our pleasure to keep our spirits up. The tossers. Gary Barlow. You had me at Gary Barlow, there. yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Ian Alexander says, shit is building Jerusalem. Sir Clove and his entirely self-aggrandizing middle management speak bullshit. He said, but good as I watched Living With Lions afterwards and it was great. Yeah, why can't we watch that? <laughs> yeah. See if we can spot the exact moment that Lawrence sticks half of fucking Columbia. <laughs> <laughs> Goes like that fucking meme of the bald fella <laughs> chewing his own lips. Um... Mike Pop gets into it. He says, good is NHS staff working every day to save our lives. Yes, 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 indeed. And shit is having to do it without PPE. I, I really don't want to get into that. Um, yeah, you really shouldn't. Ian Bradshaw says, more for Josh Garner, but good is the pairing of shirts in the 2011 Ambling Cup final BT replayed at the weekend. Like my nephews have been given a packet of blue Smarties after a week in Southampton isolations and let loose on the paint box. It's that stad shirt, isn't it? It's that, it's that, it's that, that magic eye painting stad shirt. And then the uh, Harlequin shirt is... One is, of, a, is it, absolute atrocity, that shirt. Is a Quinn and a white with a diagonal half and half. It's awful. It's very an absolute, bizarre. Yeah, it's very of that period of shirt design and not in a good way. Uh, Samuel Grant says, God is building Jerusalem's makers clearly not being fans of Delalio. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He said, he shit. He said bad, actually, Samuel. Do you not want to swear on Twitter? But shit. He said, shit. Watching Tony Diprose lead out England. How far <laughs> the game has come. Yes, it has. <laughs> What's Tony Diprose doing with himself these yeah, days? Gonna... Lovely hands, Tony Diprose. Lovely hands. Absolute pace like a fucking broken traction engine, but lovely hands. <laughs> uh, I th- he, he, he's wearing a fairly recent Harlequins. Uh... 
Oh, I think he might be head coach of Harlequin's women. Let's find out. Uh, he's apparently... Oh, he's head of sport at Canford School. Of course. As of January 2020. Private schools can afford to pay a head of sport like 85 grand a year, can't they? <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm assuming that's a private school. It might not be. Cause, well, it uh, must I'm be, because pretty... state schools don't have a head of sport for a start. Yeah, they really don't. They have a head of PE. Um, <laughs> who, also Camford... has to teach, who also has to teach maths. Camford School is a co-educational independent school for oh, day and boarding pupils situated go. in 300 acres of parkland near to the market town of Wimborne Minster in Dorset. <laughs> that literally sounds like a parody of itself. £12,686 per term. Fucking hell. Yeah. Uh, he's been one of the runners-up for Public School of the Year in 2016 and again, and then received the uh, top award in the Tatler School Awards in 2019. Honestly, just reading this makes me want to go and storm something. <laughs> imagine, <laughs> imagine not paying that and how many good kitchens you could buy. Yeah, imagine you know all about that. Yeah, I do, yeah. Uh, anyway, so what else we've got here? Steve gets in touch. He says, good, is Parker Scarlet's being converted into a hospital facility to help with the coronavirus? It is. Uh, and bad is people asking for season ticket refunds. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, the season was two-thirds done, you know. And it's literally a fucking hospital now. <laughs> Chill out. He says, David McIntosh says, shit is my ability to teach my kids anything at all. He says, all teachers should be paid a billion pounds an hour and in a helicopter from now on. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, we're all isolated, right? I mean, my kids are teenagers now, so they're just in their bedrooms on talking to their friends. The idea of being yeah. like this, not being a key worker and having to have like two fucking four and two-year-olds at home or something. Oh, I can't even imagine. No, I can't imagine either. Sorry, I've got distracted by the <laughs> Camford School Wikipedia page because who were the eight? In, in, in 1992, a lost Asturian stone relief was found on the wall of the tuck shop. <laughs> oh, one, they've got a tuck shop. Two. It had been brought back from the site of Nimrod in northern Mesopotamia by uh, some fucking grave-robbing guy in the Victorian era. It's dated from 850, 853 to 859 BC, and it was just on the wall of the fucking tuck shop. Who are their old pupils, their old boys, whatever it is? Ooh. People go to private school always call it my school or our school, don't they, even years after they've left. People who go to old, our school are like this, you know. Old Can old Canfordians, you mean? Yeah. Um, as they describe it on... Uh, I mean, there's nobody brilliant here. No. Uh, there's always Ben like, Gollings. Ben got right. Ben, there's always academics uh, and and people like that. Usually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Oria Duba, the uh, 2016 Strictly winner. Um, I mean, it's a lot of business people Same and pictures. editors, editors of the Daily Mail. The <laughs> <laughs> um, man who founded Free Pages. I mean, this just—it's low rent, isn't it? They clearly, they clearly need. It's not exactly fucking Benjamin Disraeli, is it? Well, they—they clearly need. They're John Barnes, but not that one. Um, (laughs) (laughs) They clearly just. This is why they need to pay Tony Dupro's whatever the fuck they've paid him 
to you know to start churning out some proper sporting legends. Ben Gollings is not enough. What else have we got here then? Bruce McConaughey gets in touch. Hi, Bruce. He says, good, he's getting a new job that you're really excited about. He said, however, shit, is having to forego any kind of induction process and be flung straight into days of meetings to address the biggest crisis your injury industry has faced in living memory. <laughs> Suboptimal, yeah. You know what? It's true, this, right? We're trying to... We're having to... We're facing a crisis we've never... It's unprecedented, right? People keep saying that because it is. And actually, people use that word without actually thinking what it means. It's unprecedented. So yeah. none of us have any fucking experience with no it. idea what to So do. we are trying yeah. to come up with solutions without any of the normal ways of coming up with solutions, like getting in a room and trying to fucking get it sorted. You're trying to do it as 13 disembodied voices. Yeah, you can't even get in a room with it's people. It's very, very tricky stuff. It's very odd. It's very tricky stuff. Very odd indeed. Um, Ros Mather says, "Good is Nick Heath and Mr. Andrew Cotter for, Cotter for doing sports commentaries without sports." Yes, Nick's kind of gone massively viral. He has. He's got hundred twenty thousand followers now. Christ on a bike. Couldn't happen to a nicer fella. Um, he said, and also, "Ross says also the passing nod to Q commentator where Nick interviews Andrew Cotter." Uh, point of order: I interviewed Andrew Cotter before Nick Heath did. <laughs> so actually can you, you put did. if you go and you find a rugby life back there you'll find me interviewing Andrew Cotter he was a very nice bloke and I just dropped him a DM and just said we, we can I interview you and he went, he went yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> I like it when it's that easy yeah he says people's elbow says good is Phil Greening taking the Marines training very seriously in the documentary and it's a clip of him jumping off a landing craft with a, fucking gun. <laughs> with a gun and Going pegging it mental. fuming yeah <laughs> uh, Keith says I don't know what attitude he was in when he oh sorry wrong thing Patricia says good is getting to rewatch Fiji versus Uruguay yesterday on the World Rugby live screen without having to get up at five half five in the morning and he said she said the early start made me one forget how, how good a game it was and two I obviously te- teared up at the end with Gaminara's interview oh you see in these tough times we should all just take a moment to watch Gaminara's interview again, shouldn't we? I mean, we can, but then they ruined it. Yeah, they did, didn't they, by pissing at a restaurant or something, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Joe Taring gets into it. He says, good is finding out on last week's pod that this is unexpectedly right in your wheelhouse. And it's a clip of the Backstreet Boys singing I Want It That Way from their yeah. various isolation pods. Some of them are taking it a lot more seriously than the others. They are. Uh, what's his face? Nick Carter is, uh, is 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 acting like he's in a real music video. Yeah, it's um, it's a genuinely wonderful song. When I went to Alabama yeah. last year to see my the love of my life, Jason Isbell in Muscle Shows, yeah. Alabama, they had an after party mm-hmm. with a live with a live band karaoke. Nice. And me and my Always mate went up that. and did "I Want It That Way" with a live band. <laughs> it was belted. Is there any? Is there anything better than live karaoke? I mean, karaoke in general is great, isn't it? Yeah. But, you know. I will, I'll have nothing said against it. It's war. It's glorious. Yeah. Well, you'd imagine I'll have nothing said against it because I'm fucking up there four times a night. I piss everybody <laughs> off. Who's going on now? Oh, fucking hell, it's this brick again. Um, um, Dave Garrick says, good is the Ospreys pack in the 2012 Pro 12 final that was shown on S4C on Saturday. Oh, honestly, Here is that pack. I love that. Paul James, Richard Hibbard, Adam Jones, Alan Wynne Jones, Ian Evans, Ryan Jones, Justin Tipperick, and Beerman. Beerman's the fucking weak link in that chain, but... But still, 
Six of them Still. went on Lions tours, Dave says. Yeah. One, one of those ones though. wasn't Berman. No, yeah. Bless him. Having said that, Christian Dacey went on the Lions tour, Dave. It's forever devalued now. You should know that. <laughs> yeah. Reece not... And uh, who's Corey Hill? That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah. Reece not says also good is how popular Nick Heath is in his live commentary. Yes. That's what we got here. Uh, did, 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 did. <laughs> Ten Ep says, "Good as I've got a majestic wine delivery slot tomorrow." Do you have to get a delivery slot for majestic wine now? God, it grab. really is. is Times really are rough. Is it class as essential? I think it probably is for a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, Graham Love says, "Shit is my mood of the prospect of life continuing like this for the next several months." You can't last but well. Just imagine trying to run a podcast, Graham. <laughs> yeah, honestly. We're on week two of what? No, is it week two or week three of no rugby? Yeah, it's hard to know, isn't it? Yeah. Andy and Brum says good was the documentary. Batshit Clive aside, it was really interesting, informative, and at times quite funny. Okay. Christ. So there you go. That's the shit good. Thank you, everybody, for letting Indeed. us know. Indeed. Um, it's been an hour and a half. We started late for this because we had various things going on. Yes, and uh, and I'm uh, I'm you know and this I've been on conference calls all day and this is another conference call in in many ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah me more too. fun. But yeah, it's, uh... I'm really excited to not be in this room with headphones on talking to someone as much as I enjoy talking to you. Yes, indeed. It's kind indeed. of yeah. I enjoy the silence. I hope that we're brightening up uh, whatever problematic you know self isolation you might be in or non problematic self isolation. Indeed. Thank you for a couple of people who've dropped us a line to say that, you know, we're helping them get through it, which is, so we will keep going, but we won't keep going for now because we're done. And Indeed. we'll speak to you all next week when it'll probably be, I don't know what we're going to do, classic match again, I don't know. Probably, we'll who knows, we'll, we'll, we'll freelance it. See you all soon, goodbye. See you everybody, bye. The world of work has changed dramatically and organisations are evolving. A full or part-time MBA from UCD Smurfett School equips managers to react at pace and deliver change. Now is the time to transform your career and gain a new business network. Join our virtual MBA experience day on Saturday, November 20th. Register at smurfettschool.ie forward slash events. UCD Michael Smurfett Graduate Business School. Developing impactful business leaders. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.